Amen. Thank you for coming this morning, and thank you. Good, great praise. You know, there's not a there's more people this week, so praise the Lord from last week. And uh, but boy, the live praise doesn't sound good, James. It's it's outstanding. Praise God. It's nice. It's nice to have people in the room. Let me tell you, after all the weeks we've had of nobody here uh, except your smiling faces and paper. Uh, this is really good. So it's good to see you this morning. I pray you're encouraged in the Lord. This morning we're going to be, again, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27, and we're going to continue our series in discovering our DNA. Um, this morning I'm actually going to wrap up the, I'm not going to get through the chapters, but we're going to begin looking at uh, chapters 27 and 28, which are the conclusion of the book of Acts. And so I've titled the sermon series that we're entering, Finish Strong. And uh, today we're going to look at Paul as he is setting sail in his, uh, his really last journey, his last journey that is at least recorded in the Word of God. And, uh, and so uh, this is going to be a good time, and I pray that you'll be encouraged uh, to really, uh, you know, be a difference, make a difference in the storms and the shipwrecks of life, because that's really what lies ahead in this, in this story. We're not going to get to all that this morning. Um, I want to just welcome you this morning, if you're joining us live uh, on the internet, we are glad that you joined us this morning, and and I pray that uh, you know you're encouraged in the Lord. We're looking forward to the day when we can all be back together in the room. And uh, this morning, I pray that you are encouraged uh, from your living room or wherever you may be when you pick up this message. So, if you don't have a Bible, yeah, please uh, be turning to. Uh, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you, and uh, be turning to page one thousand four hundred and ninety six um, in that in that Bible. If you're at home or here in the church, you can be turning to the book of Acts, chapter 27. The book of Acts, chapter 27. And, uh, and so we're thankful that we're all together, if not physically, in spirit this morning. So again, this is our final sermon series in the book of Acts called Finish Strong. So Paul, he has not quite uh, finished his race, right? He's not quite there. He's on his way home, so to speak. He's going to Rome, and eventually he's going to go to heaven. But he's beginning the last leg of his final journey. He's on the tail end of this journey uh, which started on the road to Damascus. And you'll remember in Acts chapter 9 when he fell before the Lord and, and uh, on, that, uh, on that road to Damascus. And man, now he's looking forward to the streets paved with gold. And he's, he's running for that race, trying to get there as fast as he can. But he has a few laps yet to go. And it's, it's been about 28 years since he uh, come to know the Lord on the road to Damascus. And at this point in his ministry, he titles himself Paul the Aged. 28 years of serving the Lord had put some uh, wear and tear on his body. We know in 2 Corinthians he had been beaten several times. He endured a lot of things as an apostle, and he's filling up the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's really neat to see in Acts chapter 27 uh, and chapter 28 is how he actually concludes, even through the difficulties, through the obstacles that are in his way, he continues on and he fulfills his race uh, in spite of the obstacles with great joy and great encouragement as he's also being encouraged you know, we need to be considering our end. Moses said in, in the book of Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12, to, so teach us to number our, di- our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, right? Understanding that, that our race will come to an end, it affects our hearts. We're to apply our hearts to wisdom. Now, when we think about wisdom, we think of our brains, but the, Moses says apply our heart to wisdom. Our heart needs to be into it because if we're going to finish a race, we're going to run a race, right? We've got to run it with our whole heart, not just with our mind and intellectually. So David said, the Lord make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. And when we put ourselves in the context of his story and in the context of all that God is doing, we really realize how frail we are. 
Uh, there was a baseball player from the early 1900s. His name was Harry Moran. He said, live every day as if it were going to be your last day. Uh, for one day, you're, you're sure going to be right, right? So every day, <laughs> live like it's your last day because one of these days, it will be, right? And so in, running with the end in mind is important. You've got to have the goal. But for us as Christians, right, for us, death is, is really has no sting. So we're running into eternity. We're running into eternal life. And the day that we get saved, of course, is the day eternity starts for us. So really all we have to do is transition now into that glory and eternal life. So Paul wasn't running to an end. He was really running to eternity, the beginning of eternity in earnest. And I can still remember when I came to that place in my life when I realized the day that I got saved, eternity began for me. I mean, my eternal life with Christ has already begun. So I get to live the first few, you know, uh, steps of it in this old carcass. But someday that's going to be done away with, and I'm going to be on into glory. And so are you if you're born again. Just getting your mind around that concept that really life in eternity has already begun for us. And, uh, and God forbid someone's listening this morning and, and you're listening in. And I hate to tell you this, but unless you trusted Christ, uh, if you don't trust Christ before you take your last breath, eternal life separated from God uh, is beginning. So please make a decision while you can to trust the Lord as Savior today. So Paul lived with, with the end in mind, right? Each day of his life, to live with Christ and to die is gain. But before he goes to Rome and, and dies, he will <clears throat> write to his son in the Lord Timothy and say, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Man, I pray that when we get to the end of our life, we'll be able to say that. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith because it's possible to drop a ball. I mean, have you ever seen, you know, uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, uh, Russell, uh, who, what's his name with the, the uh, Seahawks? This is why I like a live audience. Russell Wilson, right? On the goal line, ready to win the Super Bowl. He didn't drop the ball, but he threw an interception. And, and that was it. The Super Bowl was out of his hands, man. You don't want to finish like that. Paul's like, man, I don't want to finish like that. I want to run my race. I want to finish my course. I want to get the job done. And, of course, uh, he did do that. So as Christians, we should live every day and every, in every circumstance in life in light of eternity. Paul did just that. And when we're looking at our DNA, right, our spiritual DNA, that's the type of, of life that we need to live, even through trial, even through difficulty. Uh, God has given us a grace to, to, to really rise above those circumstances and not only be able to overcome it, but actually he's able to encourage others to overcome, as we'll see through the book of Acts chapter 27 and 28. And you know, when we get to the end of this life, we don't want to have it capsulated with I wish, because we really realize how short life is, right? When we say, I wish, oh, you know, the older you get, you realize, man, I can't go back and take care of some of those I wishes. It's over, right? So we need to be wise. We need to exercise our heart. Like David said, man, how my days are so, so long. You know, Moses said that, and David said, let me know how frail I am. Why? Because we don't want to have eye wishes. We want to accomplish God's mission and God's power for His glory while we have opportunity. So we need to live life in light of who God has saved us to be and then what God has saved us to do. Because if we're who God saved us to be, we will have a proclivity and a natural desire to do what God wants us to do, even when you're running the last leg of your race and there's more hurdles than you started with. And man, as Paul, Paul sails into home, man, I mean, it's like everything's in the way. And, uh, but he just kind of overcomes that by God's grace. So you say, but Brian... You don't know my problems. You don't know the trouble I've seen. So one of the greatest things about the conclusion of Acts is the way that we are encouraged. 
uh, Paul doesn't just kind of ease into it, right? He doesn't just kind of leisurely walk across the finish line as he's going to Rome. <clears throat> and we know eventually he will die, at, you know, before Nero, his last big event. I mean, what a, what a, what a climax to a ministry, standing before the, the leader of the known world, the sla- enslaving the majority of the world, a demon-possessed maniac, a, a, a clear type of Antichrist, the Antichrist of that day. Paul gets to preach to him face-to-face. I mean, what a deal. Now, he's going to have to do that alone. We'll get to that in just a minute. But before he gets there, God gives him these companions. He gives him encouragement because, you know what, God doesn't ask us to finish our race all by ourselves. We need each other. So if we apply uh, Churchill's, <clears throat> or Winston Churchill said this. He said, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, and an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. And so a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, and an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. And so that's what Winston Churchill said. So if we apply Churchill's quote to Paul, we would certainly, uh, he would be the latter, and, and he'd be an example of how to finish our race. And I want to encourage you to read the whole of Acts chapter 27. Uh, but today, for time's sake, <clears throat> we're not going to do that. We're going to read the first 12 verses, and then we're going to talk about that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and if you're able body, uh, if your body's able, if you could rise and, and read Acts chapter 27 with me. In honor of the Lord, <clears throat> we're going to read this text through the first 12 verses, and then we will have a, have a see what, and, and see what God has for us in it. All right, Acts chapter 27 and verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship of Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us, and the next day we touched at Sidon. And Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go into his friends and to refresh himself. And we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria, sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Anetus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salamone, and hardly passing it came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading in the ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenix and there winter, which is in haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity to, to really look into this passage. And, and Lord, there's so much in these chapters that we're going to be looking at. I just pray, God, that you lift the things that we need to see this morning, that you would encourage us in your word. And Lord, that we would be encouraged and edified Uh, And not only to give you honor and glory, which is what our primary goal, heart, and and objective is, but also to encourage others in the way 
as Paul is encouraged by those that travel with him. Lord, thank you for taking us on this journey of life. Thank you for getting us through every obstacle and every trial. We thank you and we praise you for giving us liberty uh, in captivity, Lord. We praise you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for reading and standing with me there. Appreciate that. <clears throat> now, Paul, is he's setting sail. And, uh, and so all things uh, were going pretty well as we see him get, heading into chapter 12. But we can see as we get to that 12th verse that Paul's like, hey, guys, things aren't going to go very good ahead. There's troubled waters coming. And uh, we'll get into that later on in this, in this message. But Luke is clearly writing in Acts chapter 27 and verse 1. Uh, we can see there that he says, and when it was determined that we uh, should sail. So Luke has now written himself back into the text. He's joined Paul in this journey to Rome. And we have, uh, by the way, we haven't seen a paragraph mark uh, since Acts chapter 20 and verse 36. So this is a very long narrative that's being written uh, by Luke. And, uh, and Paul's life is just rolling right in uh, to the uh, sentence to sentence, right into the end of the book of Acts. And so Luke joined the team in Acts chapter 20 initially, and now we see him write himself back in as he joins again as he's going to Caesarea, or from Caesarea uh, on his way to Rome. So as we look at this chapter, I'm going to give uh, three clear divisions in the next few weeks. Uh, it's very easy to see as, as Luke has meticulously laid this out. The first thing that we'll see this morning is just uh, setting sail. That's verses uh, 1 through 12. And then uh, the, the rest of the chapter breaks out with the storms at sea in verses 13 through 18. And, uh, and then the last part that we'll see is how they're saved through shipwreck in Acts 27, 39 through 44. Now, as we look at the text in Acts chapter 27 this morning, we see that, <clears throat> that there's these two separate parts of, of this particular message or this passage that I want to bring out. Uh, the first is I just simply want to review the route. There's a lot of names, a lot of ports, a lot of discussion about where they sailed. So I'm going to try to give you some clarity on that if I can. So we'll review Paul's route to Rome, uh, at least partially. And then we, we want to just end this, set, this message by revealing the, relevance, uh, the, uh, yeah, the rele- relevance, is the word I'm looking for, the relevance of this passage to our lives. Because if it's not practical, right, it's really not preaching. So we want to do that. Uh, last. So hang on with me. For some of you that geek out over details, you'll like the first part, and not maybe the second part won't suit you. But for those of you that want inspiration, you need to wait through the details and get the uh, app some application. So uh, the first thing that we're going to see as we review the route to Rome is that the goal of the voyage is very simple. The goal of the voyage is to sail from Caesarea <clears throat> to Rome, Italy. We see in verses 1 and 2, it says, And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners under the name uh, under one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band, and entering into a ship at Idramidium, <clears throat> we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus of Macedonia, of Thessalonica being with us. So on the map um, uh, that we had up there, you can see that Italy, um, Italy is over, you know, obviously most of us know the little boot heel, and you can see Italy. That's quite a ways. That's about 1,500 miles uh, in the ocean to get there. That's quite a ways to go. And, uh, and the route they ended up taking to get there, I don't think was the route they necessarily intended uh, because of the ships that they were connecting with. So Luke's pointing out that they grabbed this ship that's going to Adramidium. And Adramidium is a, is a city on the, uh, on the west coast, so to speak, of what would be the modern-day Turkish peninsula right there on the Aegean Sea. So initially they were taking a ship there to the Aegean Sea, and then they could have probably hopped right around the Aegean and down, the, you know, down through the, the heel of Italy and then came up on the other side of Italy on that west coast and 
came to Rome. I assume is probably what was in the mind initially. But before it's over, uh, they make quite a detour, and we'll get into that in the weeks to come. Uh, and so it, <clears throat> this would have been a very good route um, if they would have been able to stay the course. But sometimes, you know what, life throws things at you, doesn't it? Up until, up until March, I was planning on being uh, visiting friends overseas myself. I was planning on doing a lot of things a few months ago that we haven't been able to do. We we're going to have a vision conference. Sometimes you make plans and you set forth to do things and you just don't get where you're going, right? Because things happen. We're going to see that things happen. Now, things are always going to happen in your life. Things are always going to come up that you're not looking forward to, things that you don't even like sometimes. But the reality is, as Christians, we've got to rise above that because we live in light of eternity. And that's what Paul is doing as he goes forward on this journey. He knows he's in God's hands no matter how the schedule changes. So let's talk about the first leg. So they initially travel in verses 2 and 3 from Caesarea to Sidon. And Caesarea was the major hub of commercial shipping trade in the era of, of this era of the Roman Empire because Herod, uh, between 22 and, and 10 B.C., uh, built this incredible uh, you know, man-made harbor right there at Caesarea. So if you read the Bible, you know that, that Tyre and Sidon, which is just north uh, in modern-day Lebanon, uh, was the, the, initially was the main port of entry and hub for, if you study history like in school, you know, you'll talk about the Phoenicians and all that shipping that was going on, which is primarily Greek trading back in the day. Well, a lot of that happened in, in, uh, in Ty- and up just to the city, in the, just the north, which they're s- sailing to, Sidon, and Tyre and Sidon. But you know what? Since Herod came along, they're great. Um, Herod the Great, and, and uh, just at the turn of the, the century, he built this harbor, and it's still there to this day. The remnants of it are still there. So they could sh- uh, sail ships in, and it was a place of commercial importance to the Romans. Uh, it was also, obviously, where the judicial activity was, as Paul was tried there. It's also a place where the Spirit of God was working, and we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But this is a, a short little ride up the coast that seems to offer really smooth sailing. There's no comments about anything that happened from Caesarea to Sidon. And Paul was able to visit friends when he got to Sidon and stock up before taking the rest of his journey. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. And then they go from Sidon uh, to Myra, or to Myra is how it's pronounced. In Acts chapter 27, verses 4 through 5, it says, And when he had launched from thence, thence is Sidon, we sailed under Cyprus. Now, when I saw under Cyprus, I'm thinking they sailed below it. But actually, that's a nautical term, which I didn't understand. I guess they, that means it's uh, to one side or the other of your ship. So they sailed under the coastline so they could avoid the wind, is what I've read that that means. And when he had sailed over the Sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Thamyra, city of Lycia. So, so Myra is still in existence to this day. Uh, and you can see on the map, I've put a, a picture of where, I've got an arrow pointing to where that's at geographically. Uh, it's on that southern coast of what would today be the modern peninsula of Turkey, which is called Asia in the Bible. And so we see that uh, that city is, interestingly enough, it's still there to this day, I was just studying into this uh, city. I was kind of looking at all the ports of, of call there as they went through. And, and this city, just uh, interestingly enough, it is to me, if you geek out on history, um, it's now called Demir, I think is how they pronounce it. And uh, in 1923, they changed, the, um, they changed it up. It had a church there uh, for centuries, uh, and that town has existed until 1923 under the same name. Uh, and in 1923, the Turkish government... Uh, probably with the Ottomans uh, going out of business, the Turkish government exchanged with the Greek government citizens. So uh, presumably um, I, I, uh, Islamic citizens that were settled in Greece were repatriated to this city uh, as they changed the name to, to, to Demiri. And all the Greeks that were there were replaced and repatriated back in Greece. 
And uh, then, guess what they did? They took the church out. So there's no church there to this, at this day because uh, the, the, uh, the Turks wanted the, the church gone. Uh, that didn't have a lot to do with our message. I just found that interesting. I thought that was interesting how this city has had a role even in modern history. And so from there, they, they are intending to sail to Italy. In verse 6, it says, And there, there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. Now, this is an interesting decision that's made. I don't know if it was planned or if it was a decision made after they got there. But uh, the, the course is obviously then not to continue on around to the tip of the Aegean Sea or to the tip of the peninsula there in the Aegean Sea. But they actually now have a, a connecting uh, ship, like we have a connecting flight at the airport. And they start to head uh, now south uh, toward Crete and uh, the Isle of Crete. So we see Julius changes the plan and makes this connection with another ship from Alexandria heading to Italy. And it is interesting because this ship is, is, is really large. Um, <clears throat> in the text itself, in Acts 27, 37, and verse, uh, verses 37 and 38, the Bible records there that 276 people could fit on this ship. In addition to all the cargo, which happened to be grain, that it was carrying from Alexandria, Egypt. And so when you think about that, when you think about ship, you know, ship-faring people at that time, uh, that's a big ship, uh, putting 276 people and cargo. And, and so um, on our website, I've put, a, if you're uh, online and you went on through hbfcast.org to get onto this, on, there's a, an attachment you can find. Just click there, and you can actually read a document I put up. It's a research paper on the actual ships that they would have used to carry Paul. Uh, during this time, and, and they have the dimensions and all the details about that. It's very interesting. If you're wanting to geek out on some history and some details, uh, you can find that there. But, uh, but the, the scale of the ship is estimated to be the size, roughly, of the USS Constitution, the USS Constitution. And so uh, that's a ship that was active uh, up through the Civil War and uh, was finally uh, put into museum mode in 1901. And so uh, it's still in existence today. And so it can hold 276 people. So there's 200 and some souls on this, this boat. Paul is counting every one of them, and, uh, and he's praying for each and every one of them, I'm sure. You know, when we take a journey in life, our life, we don't live to ourselves and we don't die to ourselves. We interact with people, and we have an impact on those around us, even if they don't know it. And so it's here, it's here that Julius decides to make a connection with this other ship leaving for Italy. And this ship we find in verse 38 is this grain ship, and it was coming from Alexandria, Egypt. Now, the one on the screen that you see is obviously the USS uh, Constitution, but, uh, but the, uh, these ships were, were loaded with the grain that came from the fertile fields along the Nile and the Nile Delta in Egypt. And so really the, the world uh, system of Egypt was feeding this massive city of Rome. Rome, for the era, of course, was a huge city, in population compared to most cities, and they had all the aqueducts and all the, the modern plumbing that they had in that day, which is, you know, uh, really, really incredible. And so it took a lot of food to feed these folks, you know, and so, uh, and so that food would come up from Egypt. So these ships are large enough to, to take on more passengers, and, and, and the Julius says, hey, you guys are loading on this ship. Notice there was no boat. What Julius says goes because, well, he's the man in charge. So they go from Myra to, to this place called uh, Nidus. Nidus in Acts 27 and verse 7. It says, And when we sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Nidus, drop the sea there, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salomone. And so Paul said it was slow 
because they're, they were fighting the wind. So they're fighting the wind and they're having to navigate. This is a big ship. And they're having to navigate back and forth, zigzagging as they do in those circumstances to try to get to this port. The port's only 50 miles away. You know, that's, that's not a big deal. That's about how far Caesarea was uh, from Sidon. And they just, you know, they just breezed right up the coast and got there probably in a few hours. Well, now they're, they're, they're taking quite a while to get there. And it's not a desirable condition. And, and so they turn south and they sail towards Crete, uh, which I presume was easier sailing at that time. And then we find them in Nidus, going from Nidus to Crete. So in Acts 27, verse 7, we see it says, And when we had sailed slowly many days, scarce were come over against Nidus, the wind not suffering us. So they really struggled for, for many days to go 50 miles. Um, we sailed under Crete over against Salamone, and hardly passing it came unto uh, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereinto was the city of Lycia. Now, uh, uh, Salomone, Salomone is how it's pronounced, is the cape just to the east side of the, the tip of Crete on, the, on that eastern side. And, uh, uh, and so you can see that there on, the, on that eastern coast. And, and, so, uh, and then as they came around to the south side of the, the Cretan island there, about where that, that arrow is pointing, is where they would have landed at Fair Havens. What's interesting is uh, the city that is mentioned here is just, just to the east of that, um, uh, La Silla. But they're wanting to go just, just 50 miles further. There's a nice port. And so as we leave the discussion uh, in, that we were reading earlier in Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 27, we see that, that Paul is saying, guys, just park it right here at Fair Havens. I know it's not the best situation, but don't even try to go 50 more miles. Now, they've already had a bad experience, right, going 50 miles up along the, along the coast of Turkey. And so Paul, I don't know if it was the revelation of the Lord or because he'd already endured three shipwrecks and knew a little bit about sailing by now. Was, he's saying, guys, I'm just saying, if you could just stay here, I know it's not going to be easy for getting stuff on and off. It's not the ideal place to park the boat for winter, but let's just do it uh, because uh, we could hazard our lives. So that's where we really left off in the discussion. And I think that's important to kind of understand to set us up for where we're going to go next week, but also to help us understand what's going on this morning. As we, as we reviewed this route to Rome, um, this is as far as we're getting today, but we also see, well, how's that really apply to us? Well, let's see how God can reveal that relevance to our life, because this has to make some sense to us if we're going to get any traction today here at HBF. So as Paul begins to head toward Rome for his meeting with Nero, God provides his key relationships. Key relationships. You know, that's so important at this stage in Paul's life. You know, the older you get, the more important relationships are, aren't they? You start to really value relationships, or you lament the relationships that you've lost. And so, uh, Pastor Alan Shelby of Harvest Baptist Church in, in Blue Springs says, ministry runs on the rails of relationships. Isn't that true? And then Pastor Randy Foster of HBF always says, fellowship follows on the heels of ministry. That's also true. Man, relationships and ministry, when you put that together, it just brings an intense and beautiful fellowship. So there, there's not a greater comfort that, than companionship during difficult times. Knowing someone has your back and knowing that you are not alone in difficult times. Now, Paul, he's going to have to stand before Nero, and the Lord will encourage him there. We know that in 2 Timothy. But God doesn't ask him to take the whole journey alone. No, he equips him and he puts people around him that can encourage him in the journey. And you know, we're all on a journey and we're all going to head home someday. But it, you know what? That's why the fellowship of the church is so important. 
I mean, like we're sitting here right now, all spread out, and all, it's all—it's just all just out of whack, isn't it? Don't don't we wish we could just hug up on each other and do all that? I mean, we really do, uh, but we can't right now because it's not always the way you want it to be. But we're still glad to have fellowship. We're still glad to worship, and we're not going to let it stop us from loving God and loving people. So Paul, you know, he had to stand alone before Nero, uh, but in this time, God is bringing him great comfort comfort in his life. And so before he does stand alone before Nero, in the meantime, before he faces uh, that, that crescendo of life, he stands boldly uh, and stands boldly one last time to, to stand before this demon-possessed leader of the free world, or the slave world, I should say. Most of the people in Rome were slaves at that time. Um, before he stands before this Antichrist of his day, uh, you know, God brings him some comfort and some favor in the relationships that he has. Not every relationship that Paul had would stand the test of ministry, frankly. It was a tough thing to hang with Paul. Uh, ministry uh, to the saints and for the saints and, and of the Lord uh, was going to be rough. In Asia, uh, Paul wrote how many turned away from him because the Judaizers had infected and poisoned with their venomous influence uh, to actually turn against the Apostle Paul. Many of his brethren in Israel, of course, as we've already seen, Paul loved his brethren his, his Jewish Hebrew brothers, man, he, he literally was willing to die for them if they would receive the gospel. But you know what? He learned that, you know, most, not all, but many of them just wanted to see him dead. Uh, I mean, he could not maintain that relationship. It was very sad. And so as he sails away, it's really indicative of what God is doing in the life of the nation of Israel. But you know what? God doesn't ask him to go alone. God puts key relationships around him to encourage him as God is literally closing the door on the nation of Israel, as he sails away towards Sidon. Man, what an image that is. It's almost like the Spirit of the Lord is departing because in eight short years, uh, in 70 A.D., General Titus is going to come in and he is going to sack and completely destroy Jerusalem, level the temple, and there will be no place for the Jews to worship till this day in Jerusalem. And so uh, it won't be until 1948, uh, after the Second World War, that the nation of Israel is reestablished when Harry Truman uh, allows that to happen after the treaty. And so it's quite a, quite a, quite a time as Israel is about to be dispersed. And so there, there are three things that we need to understand as, as if we're going to maintain um, a really strong finish and sail to the end of our ministry. Now, you say, well, Brian, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teenager, or I'm 20, or I'm 30. Or I'm 40. I've got a long way to go. I'm 50. I'm 60, right? I'm, I'm not planning on checking out for another decade or two. Well, listen, it doesn't matter where you are in life. You really need to, to cultivate relationships because really the fruit of the ministry of the Apostle Paul from the first day till, till then is really still being felt. And it's not about what we get from the ministry, but there are times when God actually uses people in our lives to encourage us so that we can continue to finish our course and bring honor and glory to Him. And so the first thing I want us to, to consider as we run our race, is how we, how we are encouraged in, the, in, in, our, in finishing our course and finishing our journey of life with faithful men. And, and maybe it's just a, a segment of your life. Maybe it's just a, a time of your life. But there are faithful men that the Apostle Paul has invested in or faithful women. You know, here at HBF, we always talk about making disciples because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. And that is the mission. But there's also a lot to that. It's not just as cut and dry as this is the mission. We're going to have boot camp and everyone's going to be a disciple. There's a relational aspect that we really get to insight in when we see the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27 and 28. And it is so rich and it's so encouraging 
and it's really loving, and, and it's really awesome. So let's start with Dr. Luke. He's the first faithful man that we see in the text. Luke cared for Paul's health, uh, the beloved physician, as Paul called him in Colossians 4 and verse 14. He rejoins the team in, in Caesarea, and for all I know, he was hanging in Caesarea the whole time. I don't really know how long he was there, but he's now writing in great detail, very uh, accurate information about the journey to Rome. And I believe he was also there certainly for the last for that trial that he had before Agrippa, just based on the detail and all the nuances and the way he was observing what was going on. I'm certain uh, he probably was there to see all of that. He was with Paul. He was with him in spirit. And he was with him in body. And he was there to encourage Paul and physically care for Paul. Based on this account in Acts 26, I believe he was able to see all of these things and, of course, recorded them very meticulously. And he cared not just for Paul, though. I think what's important for us to understand with Luke is he cared for the mission of God. He was a soldier of sorts in, the God, in God's army, in God's kingdom. But you see this relationship with Paul. He had a certain role with the Apostle Paul where he was there to physically help care for the Apostle Paul. Paul, Paul had been through the grinder those 28 years of ministry. And he needed some TLC from a doctor, a physician. And so he's like, hey, Paul, hey, take some of this. Hey, man, take a little ginseng over here, whatever they were using at the time. Here, let me whip something up in the apothecary, whip some water up and take some of this. That might help your stomach or whatever, you know, that, that Paul was enduring. Luke was there just to kind of come alongside him and, and encourage him along the way. But Luke's gospel was also written to accomplish the mission. There's no doubt about it. Oh, Theophilus, right? Luke, is a, he's a major player in what God is doing at this time in church history. He is, he's, a, he's, he's pinning the best resource we have for a chronological order of the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Luke as we see Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. It's what an incredible uh, epistle that is. That wasn't, he wasn't doing that as a favor to the Apostle Paul. He was doing that to, for the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Acts, of course, the transitional book, that takes us from what God is doing with the Hebrew nation to what God is doing in the church age, was written by Dr. Luke. And so he was a great minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in this text, what we see is that he was also a good friend. He was a great friend, a faithful man to the Apostle Paul. And then we see Aristarchus. And, you know, Luke labored with Paul in the ministry and cared and helped relieve his pain. But Aristarchus was kind of a different type of brother. And you need different types of relationships to encourage you in different ways. You know, Aristarchus was a guy who's willing to take a beating for Jesus. I mean, he's like Paul in that regard. I mean, if he has to be taken captive, he's going to be taken captive. If he's going to go to jail, he's going to jail. He's just going to, he's going to endure hardness as a good soldier. He's a guy that Paul can literally have with him in bonds. I mean, this is a guy like Silas. Remember Silas in Acts chapter 16 and verse 25? You got Paul. Paul's in prison. Paul's praising the Lord. The, the jailhouse rocks, right? Everyone knows the story. But think about this. Paul had a guy with him named Silas. Silas was a great disciple. He was a great, more than a great disciple. He was a great co-laborer. He's a great friend. Because as Paul's getting beaten, guess what? Silas is getting beaten. As Paul's getting thrown in the prison by the Philippian jailer, Silas is getting thrown in the prison by the Philippian jailer. And you know, you don't have any indication that, that Silas nudged Paul with an elbow or the Aristarchus nudges Paul the elbow. What are you singing about, Paul? Why are you so happy? Right? They're just going along, man. They just know that God's in this thing. And they're happy to suffer for Jesus. These are incredible people uh, that love the Lord Jesus. These are people you meet, by the way, even to this day. When you take mission trips and you deal with certain people in the church and people that are suffering, going through difficult times, you run into these folks and you're like, wow, man, that's who I want to be like. 
These are people that encouraged Paul in his journey in different ways. Aristarchus was a man acquainted with sufferings, the sufferings of Christ. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 29, you'll remember when we were there talking about at Ephesus, right? The goddess Diana, the silversmiths were all fired up and their business was getting hurt because people were starting to throw away their dumb idols and worship the one true God. Well, Paul, they kept him out of the amphitheater, but Aristarchus and Gaius, those two dudes, they, took, they were the ones that were taken captive. They were the ones that were being held uh, because, uh, because they were the ones paying the price in Ephesus to get the church going. And, of course, I'm sure Paul did as well. But, but, but these guys were willing to stand in there just as Paul was uh, when the Lord called them to. So these men of Macedonia, even their churches, a guy like Aristarchus hails from Thessalonica. Thessalonica was started under difficult situations, right? We saw that Jason was yanked out of his house and they were being persecuted. And that's why Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians because they lived in perpetual persecution there in Macedonia. And uh, and Paul himself had to flee from from Thessalonica. He couldn't stay there long when he came the first time because of the pressure. These people were in a pressure cooker. But yet, you know, when it comes right down to it, they overcame. That wasn't an excuse. They continued to prevail because, well, Christ was in them. These were incredible saints of God. They are just like you and just like me. Or are they? I pray by God's grace they are. Paul calls Aristarchus a a fellow prisoner. Fellow prisoner in Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus' sister's son, Barnabas. And so Mark and and, uh, Aristarchus get together at the end of Paul's life there as he's writing from his Roman jail cell before he dies before Nero. He says, hey, Aristarchus is right here with me. And so is Mark. And so, uh, man, he had faithful men around him, encouraging him. In, in uh, Philemon, Paul calls Aristarchus a fellow laborer. He's a fellow prisoner. He's a fellow laborer. So when you're going through deep water in life, hey, I pray, I just, just I, I pray, right? Some, some of us right now are fellow prisoners, right? We've been in our homes, we've been locked down. I pray when this is over. I see Mitch in here. When this is over, we need some fellow laborers, right? We need, we need to go from fellow prisoners to fellow laborers as everything relaxes because there's a lot of work to do in the ministry. And so when you're going through deep water in life, it's good to have faithful saints around you uh, who have proven their love to God, to his mission, and then, and then you. And in that order, by the way. So this is where discipleship becomes a real practical reality. And when we come back together as a church, you know, there's some people in our church that need to come together and really get more serious about that mission of discipleship. I'm so encouraged by those that are in the church that have continued the discipleship relationships and continued to go forward in discipleship because at the end of the day, that is what we do. We make disciples. That's all we do. That's all we have to do. We don't have to do anything else but make disciples. That is what we do, right? And I know we live in an entertainment culture and a lot of churches want to put on a show and manage all your felt needs and all that. But at the end of the day, if we want to please Jesus, what we really got to do is make disciples. That's what we do. That's who we are. That's what's going to please the Lord. But the cool thing about that, making disciples, it's not like some burden, oh, i got to do this, because the results are outstanding. When you encourage and you invest and you pour your life into God's Word, and then God's Word is flowing through you into someone else's life, it forms a bond, man, it'll get you through all the journeys of life, even the difficult ones. You know, Paul's coming to the end of his journey, and man, there's more hurdles, there's more difficulties, there's more obstacles, but that's okay, because he's got people helping him along the way, people that he's invested in who are now also investing in him. When you minister in a core group ministry, you develop relationships that last a lifetime and carry into eternity. The fruit of what is going on in this church, we're not talking about just 2,000 years ago. The fruit of 2,000 years ago is in this church. 
and all the churches that hold fast to the faithful word as they've been taught and make disciples. And the fruit of discipleship is still tangible today, and we go forward with that. So you got to invest in faithful men and women because that is who we are, and you're going to find so much encouragement. When you get to the end of your life, you don't want to go, man, I wish I would have discipled. Man, no, you want to you get on that puppy now. You want to be praying right now. If you haven't gotten discipled, get discipled. That's what we do here. And if you, you want to be discipled, just, man, email me. We'll get you going. And uh, if you need to be discipling someone, don't wait for me to hand them to you. Go out and win someone to Christ. I mean, we got church in the park coming up. I bet, I bet half the county is going to be ready to get out on, on June 7th and just go do something. Invite them to church on the park. Lead someone to Christ. And then open up the Word of God and invest the Word of God in them. Now, the second thing we see that you want to take with you on the journey home. When you're running the last leg of your life, you want to have an invested in faithful men and women, but you also want to have favor with people of influence. And this is really interesting. In Acts chapter 27 and, and verses 1 and 3, uh, we'll just start in verse 1. Julius, the Roman centurion, is a key man. Not just a key man in Paul's life. He's actually a key man in the Roman Empire. This is a key centurion. He's of the band of Augustus. It says in verse 1, And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. Now, who's Augustus? Anybody know? Augustus is the ruler. Who's the ruler of the day? Ron knows. It's Nero. And so it's Nero. This guy has got a direct connect to Nero. I mean, he's serving at the will, of the, as we would say, of the president. Why? Because he's ushering prisoners to Rome to have a capital sentence executed. Paul's the only one that's going, the text says that. The, the other prisoners, they're delivering the, the, uh, the Paul and certain other prisoners. The, the other prisoners are going to be delivered to, to death. Paul's, Paul, their sentence has already been had. That's why they're going to Rome. Uh, Paul is still on trial. So he's got this unique situation. So it, it's worth noting here that Paul was set apart as a certain other prisoner. He was unique in his circumstance. And Julius evidently was fond of Paul. Now, this was not because Paul was, was just going to trial in Rome while the others were going to be executed. It was also because Paul was a Roman citizen who was blameless before the law to this point. They don't even have charges on him other than he was going to appeal to Caesar uh, because he wasn't going to go back to Jerusalem and get executed needlessly. And so what a blessing it is for prisoners to travel to Rome with the Apostle Paul. Man, if you're on death row... Aren't you glad to have the Apostle Paul there to tell you the gospel? I mean, what a good deal for them. That's God's providence for those prisoners. Uh, but Paul, is, he's traveling with these, these uh, prisoners. He's a little different because he's going on trial. And this is interesting because I believe that Paul, what made him, it's interesting to consider why Julius really would like Paul. I think it's because Paul was a man under authority. And people under authority can recognize other people that are under authority, even if it's a Romans 13 authority versus uh, a Matthew chapter 28 authority. But the reality is, is it was a blessing uh, for Paul to be going uh, with these guys. And as he's finishing up his last leg, I'm sure he's witnessing and he's encouraging those that are along the way. And he actually has something in common with these men who are about to die. And it's not written in our text, but we know Paul. Paul's going to share the gospel with these prisoners. These men, he doesn't know when their life's going to be over. You know, sometimes when you minister the gospel, you feel that way. I can remember a time in my life when I was preaching at City Union Mission and a young man had a, had a death hit on him. Somebody told him he was going to die that day. And, man, I tell you what, he was just running to the altar and asking for prayer and wanting to get saved. And, I, you know, I, I prayed with him. I hope he was sincere. I hope he was trusting Jesus and not just trying to 
get fire insurance. I don't know. But I presume he was sincere. But, you know, I never saw him again. And when he was up at the altar, all the guys were just laughing at him, saying, it ain't going to help you now. Too late now. You know, and, and all of that. And so I never saw him again. I always wondered, did that guy die that day? You just never knew when you preached in that environment. You never knew. Like, when you got done that day, you literally, those guys could walk out of 10th and Truce and they could be over. They could get hit by a car or they could get hit by a bullet. You know, uh, lots of things happen. And so, uh, and so there's this urgency, this understanding that life's going to end soon. You need to be right with God. I'm sure Paul had that kind of rapport with these other prisoners. But the reality is, even today, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what's going to happen when you leave this church building. Now, if you're saved, you're like, well, praise the Lord. But we need to be mindful of the fact that, you know what, the clock is ticking, and we really don't know when it is our last journey, do we? But isn't it cool when you travel with people that have that assurance and are laboring with you? I mean, Aristarchus is right there with him. He's, a, he's also acquainted with, these kind, with this kind of suffering. He can identify with Paul. It reminds me of Carl Hatfield and Rick Wilbur. These two men from our church used to go over to the dialysis clinic at the same, you know, same time and see each other and visit. And you know what they did? They witnessed to one another. So while they're on this journey, they both know their life is a vapor, man. They don't know when their last day is, but Carl, Carl was getting in the car to go to dialysis the day he died. I mean, his life was so fragile. He didn't know when the next day was. He, was gonna, he didn't know if he had another day. Every day was a blessing to the Lord. You know, he's trying to get in the car and adjust his seat, and he dies of a heart attack and, goes and, all, and enters glory. But every day before that, or every week before that, he was going over to the dialysis clinic here in Harrisonville, and he'd see his buddy Rick Wilbur who died shortly thereafter, right? And they would look at each other, and you know, they both knew. <laughs> we're on the clock here. This is the last voyage. We're getting ready to go home. We don't know when, but we're on our way. And it's not easy, is it? Growing old is not easy. <laughs> I used to think it was when I was young. I'd look at the grace that elderly people had, and i think, man, those elderly people really got it. It must be because they're retired, and life is so much easier. <laughs> not at all. They got more aches. They got more pains. They got. But you know what's more important to elderly people oftentimes? Relationships. They realize that the pain of this world doesn't touch the relationships and the joy that comes from relationships. Yeah, you, know, you get the old crabby, crotchety person that never gets it right, and they'll, they'll have to live with those results. But, man, when you can learn and grow, even lost people learn that in, over time, that, man, people are important. Relationships are important. And, man, Rick and, and Carl were like two soldiers. They're like Aristarchus and Paul on a journey, and they don't know where this, when the time's up. But you know what? They're going to get where God wants them to go. And in the meantime, they're going to witness to every nurse, every dialysis, uh, dialysis clinician over in Harrisonville. And I can remember when after Carl died, uh, you know, Rick would tell me, man, it's kind of sad not seeing, seeing Carl come in. And then it wasn't long after, whew, there goes Rick, and he just fades into glory. Man, this life is a vapor, guys. It appears for a little while, and it fades away. But I'm glad. I'm so thankful when I look back on that. I'm so thankful that Carl had Rick, and Rick had Carl. And we had them. Praise the Lord. It's going to be awesome when we get to the other side in glory and see how all that works out. And so, you know, Randy was just preaching about comfort a few weeks ago. Well, it's now been a few months ago. That's the comfort that God brings right? in any trouble as they set sail for home. Julius commanded 100 soldiers, and he was a man under authority with a mission to deliver the prisoners directly to Nero himself. And it's no accident that God placed him in Paul's life. You know, we're not told why, but Paul is, is thought of very highly by Julius. There's a few reasons that I came up with why that might be. Perhaps it's because of his personal testimony. Uh, it could be that he's observing Paul's life and just says, man, this, is a, this guy is an upstanding guy. 
uh, man, what are we going to, I mean, why are we even taking him to, to Rome? This is crazy. He may have just liked what he saw in, in Paul. Perhaps it was because he was a man under authority and he really could see that he was a genuine, sincere servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's because the gospel witness of, of uh, Rome uh, or in Asia, maybe the gospel had gotten to Julius. He had heard the gospel. Who knows? Uh, maybe he was even saved. We don't know. Perhaps it's because Julius was influenced by the ministry of Cornelius, of the Italian band, right? Uh, mentioned in Acts chapter 10. When God chose to, to, to show the Jews that, that he was going to do something different and that the Gentiles, all they had to do was believe and receive the gospel message and Jesus Christ literally indwelled them and baptized them in the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 10. It was Cornelius, a Roman centurion, just like Julius, that went and knocked on Peter's door. Hey, Peter, I have a vision. You need to come on up here and preach. Peter's like, sir, yes, sir. God told me what, what, what he says is, is clean. I'm not to call unclean, so I'll come and preach. And, and he, is, he revealed through Roman authority to, to Peter, who was the authority at the time in the church, what God was doing. And so perhaps, who knows, maybe the emphasis or the influence that God had upon Cornelius in, in, in Caesarea, again, that major city on the seacoast there, maybe that had residual effects that was affecting Julius. We really don't know all the details. But it's definitely interesting as he was a key man in that same city in which they just sailed out of. And we can see that there was something going on in the heart of Julius. But here's the practical application. Because we need to, if it's not practical, we're not preaching, right? And so... This is the reality. This is something you can walk out of here with. If, if you want to have friends, man, you got to show yourself friendly. Proverbs 16, 7 says that. When a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. You know, when, when, when Paul was pleasing the Lord, it didn't matter. The Romans were at odds with the Jews, and the Jews were at odds with the Romans. But you know what? Paul was a born-again Christian. He wasn't at odds with anybody. He was the ambassador of Christ. He was under God's authority. And Julius, you know what? Julius liked him. He had favor with Julius. Under normal circumstances there, circumstances, there would have been a tension here because of Paul's Hebrew background. But in this case, there was a respect and an accommodation for the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 27 and verse 43, the centurion saves the prisoners' lives, not because he cared for the prisoners, but because he cared for the Apostle Paul. All the Roman soldiers were like, let's kill the prisoners. There's a shipwreck. We can't let anyone loose. Uh, let's execute them all. And Julius is like, no, don't do it. Let them all float into shore or swim. If they can't swim, give them, get them on a board. But we're not killing any prisoners. And then the text says because he wanted to protect Paul's life. You know, that wasn't just because Paul was a, was a political prisoner. It was because he liked the apostle Paul. He had favor, and Paul had favor in his eyes. God had given him, a, uh, given the centurion a tenderness for the minister of God. And that's important. You know, today there's a lot of tension in our, in our world. And law enforcement is right in the crosshairs of that. Man, Christians of all people need to be careful. And we need to remember to pray for those that are in authority. We need to remember there are men that are in authority today. They're under authority and it's difficult for them to be under authority. Because not all authority is equal in our country right now. Right? So some are asking them to do things that might be unconstitutional or even illegal. Uh, under some sort of order, and so their conscience is conflicted. And, you know, Christians of all people need to be sensitive to that because the, the people that actually bring conscience to a culture are Christians. If it wasn't for Christians, there, wouldn't be a, there would be no conscience in any culture. It's because of the Word of God. It's because Christians are salt and light. 
And so we need to be wise to that. We need to be understanding. There's a reason there's an affinity for centurions all the way through, all the way back to Jesus' ministry. Centurions believe Jesus because authority recognizes authority. They could see there's something about this man. When he spoke, he spoke with authority, not just because he raised his voice. He spoke with authority. Why? Because he was the authority. And I tell you what, there's a lot of Roman soldiers that were getting impacted by the gospel. That's one of the reasons Nero was so hateful toward Paul, because Paul was having an impact among the power structure. And so it, was, it affected the culture. And Christians, be wise to that because who they, who, eventually people wake up to what's affecting the culture and the target gets put on you. And so we've had a good liberty for a couple hundred years. But you never know when the winds will change and the storm waters come and things get a little harder to sail. When it's hard sailing, you know what you need on your, you need the centurion on your side. It'll help you out a lot in difficult times. It might even save your life. So you, you, do, you need a good testimony before the law. Just practically, right? So have a good testimony before the law, even when you're being treated unjustly. Paul was, we saw for two years, Paul was treated unjustly. I mean, he had all kinds of rights that were being violated as a Roman citizen. Uh, but you know what? He didn't, he didn't make a big stink about it. He did express a little uncomfortableness about it. But at the end of the day, he was gracious. And that was attractive. We can, we can all learn from Paul's example. He gave respect. And you know what? Because he gave respect to authority, even when they didn't deserve it, those in authority respected the Apostle Paul. And so you need to, you need to have faithful men and women in your life. You need to have uh, people that, that, that favor you, that are people of influence and power. But you also, lastly, and we're not here to please people. We're here to please God. This is really what I like about this text. In verse 3, Paul has faithful friends. In the text there, it says that, that uh, you can see this centurion gives him some liberty. and says, the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul. I mean, he didn't have to do this, but he, he let him out. It says, and he gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. He completely trusts Paul. Paul's not going to run off. He, he says, here, go ahead. Now, he may have been with a soldier, may not have been, but he, he lets him go and go see your friends. Go get refreshed. Now, I love that word refresh. It's, there's a lot of, you should do a word study on it sometime. It's incredible what it says in like Proverbs and so on and so forth. But Paul's not just getting refreshed in his spirit. Paul is, Paul is actually getting supplies. He's getting money. He's getting changes of clothes. He's getting what he needs for a long voyage. He is getting the things that he needs. And this is a courtesy extended, him, extended to him by Julius. And so he's in a situation where he goes to Sidon and finds friends. And I suppose, I suppose that, that, that uh, most of Paul's friends were saints, but we're not told that. It just says friends. I think that's cool about the Apostle Paul because we think of him as this leader of the church and, and this man of means, and he was a man. I mean, he could make a tent. He could preach in the synagogue. He could stand as an elegant, or, uh, an elegant orator. He could do all of these things, but at the end of the day, he was a man that showed himself friendly. He wasn't just a guy standing in a coliseum or standing on Mars Hill or standing before Agrippa, all these awesome things that we've seen the Apostle Paul do. But he was also a guy that, you know what, people liked him because he was friendly. I bet, I bet tent makers like Paul. I bet Romans like Paul. I bet Jews like Paul, unless they didn't like what he believed. And so the people liked Paul. Why? Because, well, he showed himself friendly. If you want to have friends, you got to be a friend. Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You know, in times like this, when there's all this tension in the culture and everything, it's really important that Christians crack a smile. You know, that Christians, you got to have your head on a swivel, right? you got to be wise. I'm not saying to be stupid. Be sober, be vigilant, always. But at the end of the day, man, the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
it's okay to smile. It's okay, even if people don't smile back, even if they're locked down in fear. Hey, I'm not trying to, don't mock anybody, but man, love people. Let them know it's okay, man. Even if you die, you can go to heaven. Praise God, you know, and, and, and have some joy of the Lord because that's our strength. Paul's friends had seen the love of God, and you know what? They'd seen God's love for them through him. In John 15, the Bible says, The greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, when you see what Jesus did for us, it's easy to, to help others. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you, Jesus said. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. What kind of friendship is that? Well, when you really learn about the love of God, keeping his commandments is the only thing that blesses us. And so we need to, we need to do that for his sake, but also for our own. Notice it doesn't say Paul visited the church at Sidon. We don't even know if there was a church at Sidon. <clears throat> we just need to continue to seek friendships with all those who will show themselves friendly until the day that, that we die. When we go to countries where we can't openly preach, you know what we do. We make friends. That's what we do. That's the best form of evangelism. We make friends. And whatever happens, happens. God blesses Paul with friends because he was a friend. Sometimes we get the image that Paul was just that superhero personality, just preaching the Bible, distant from everybody else. But we see as he runs out at the end of his days, what's really important is his relationships with people. And as we get closer to the end of our days, that's also what's important. That's why even today in the tension in our cult, culture today, what's really you know in the church's heart is, man, we got to get together. There's a na- natural desire to be together. Why? Because we know this is meant to be relational. And we know the devil works against relationships, and he will, both in the family and in the church family. Luke does a good job of capturing the character of Paul in the final chapters of the book of Acts. And so we can see not only what he did. That's really important. What he did was a huge but we see the way he did it. You know, it's, a, it's important to do the right thing, but also the way you do it's important, right? It's not just doing the right thing, because if you do the right thing the wrong way, it doesn't get the traction with God, and God's who we're trying to please. Uh, so let's, let's think about that as we're setting sail, right? Paul's launching off, and we've seen these two aspects. We've had a review of his route to Rome, and then we've seen him reveal, uh, just as we look at these relationships, the relevance of our lives, because Paul was blessed to have these two men travel with him, these faithful men. He was, he, was, he was blessed to have Julius see him in a favorable light and give him liberty. That didn't happen by accident. That was God, but it was also Paul obeying the Lord and living his life before the Lord in all honesty and godliness. And to have friends in Sidon, man, man, that was such a blessing for Paul. He needed that help. That didn't keep him from having difficult times in life, by the way. But he had the main things in life, which was a relationship with God, in a, in a relationship with faithful people, he had friends, and he had favor with the powers that be. You know what? <clears throat> uh, Paul knows what time it is. When you look at verses 9 through 12, we read it earlier. Paul says, you know, there's 200 and I believe 96 souls on this boat. And Paul cared. And he goes and he says, Julius, man, please listen to me, sirs, shipmaster, ship owner. There are people's lives at stake. And he doesn't get into a big discussion of how he knows all this. He's just saying, guys, I I fear that if we don't stay here, not only are we going to lose all the cargo on this ship, you're going to lose lives. We're going to lose our lives. Now, Paul was the last guy that was worried about losing his life. He could lose his life. He knew he's going to Rome. He's going to live. But the reality is this. We all know that, that are Christians. We know we're going somewhere for Jesus. We're not going to die until God tells us to die. Right? So we're not really worried. We're not locked down in fear and all that. God will take care of that. But the reality is this. We yield for other people, don't we? 
we, we stop for other people's sake. And we say, hey, wait a minute. This could be hazardous to your health. And so Paul was in a situation where he understood what time it was. When it talks about the fast being over, it's talking about the day of atonement. Paul, he'd already been through three shepherds, as I mentioned. You can find that in, first, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 5. Paul's not unacquainted with being uh, floating around in the ocean on, on timber. I mean, this guy's been through it three times. And he also knows a little something about something, and that is you're not, to, you're not supposed to sail in the fall of the year. In October is no time to sail. The, atonements are, the Feast of Atonement has already come. The sacrifices have been made. Everything is in order. This is the time when you don't sail. He's like, guys, don't do this. I got inside information. Don't move. This could be dangerous. But you know what? Paul's counsel was cast aside. The owner of the ship, the shipmaster, Julius himself, they're like, come on, Paul. We appreciate your concern. You Christians, you're always so cautious. Um, we appreciate your concern. I'm kind of, not really. And, and, uh, and so it's only 50 miles down the road. Well, down the ocean, down the shore. We only need to go 50 more miles. Then we're going to have a proper harbor. It's the proper place to, to, to tie off the ship for winter. It's a proper place to get supplies. Let's just go 50 more miles. And they, well, they don't listen to what Paul says. And you know, from an intellectual perspective, that probably made the most sense. But Paul knew information they didn't know. Do you know people today think that things are just going to go on as they've always went on? Paul stood before Agrippa. He preached the gospel. He says, oh, thou most persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul says, you know what? I wish that you were altogether persuaded as I am, except for these bonds. But you know what Agrippa did? Agrippa said, talk to the hand, man. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not listening. Beloved, as we enter the, the, the final voyage of the church in these last days, we need to understand that we got to be blameless and harmless, right? The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. We get that. But you know what? Saints are just saints, and, and people are people. And we can preach until we turn blue in the face. That doesn't mean anybody's going to listen. You know what? We still need to preach anyway because the storms of life are coming. We know how the Bible ends. We know what precipitates uh, the rapture, and we know what happens after the rapture. We know the end of the story. We know when troubled waters are coming. And today, if you're watching me online and you're like, what are you talking about, Brian? What are you alluding to? Well, if you think COVID's bad, there's a lot more to come. And this, and I'm not saying it's coming tomorrow. I don't know when it's coming. I don't know the day or the hour. I'm just telling you that there's times coming ahead that are going to be rough waters. And because I love you and because I love Jesus, I'm here to tell the good news. The good news is you've got a safe harbor. And that safe harbor is Christ. Christ loves you. He died on the cross for you 2,000 years ago. Before you were even born, he was thinking about you. And he died on the cross so that when you come to that point, that last journey in your life, man, you can have assurance that you're going to make it safely. Safely to heaven, that is. From this shore to the other. And God loves you. And he wants to put people like us in your life to help show you the Bible so you can actually follow Jesus. Not just know about Jesus, but know him in a real way and have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I call on you today to make that decision. Paul was worried about those 276 souls. You know what, there's, there's billions, there's six billion people on the planet today, and I would guess that many of them are in hazard of perishing. I would call everyone to stop right now and park your car, so to speak, and stop and put your faith in Jesus Christ and his word.
This is what's going to save you. So, what happened in this story? Well, you'll have to come back next week to catch that. But it's been great to be back together. Thank you for coming this morning. It's good to be with friends. It's good to be with church family. And I'm not a friend if I don't offer somebody out here online an opportunity to be saved or even in the house this morning. And so, so listen, if you're out there in the atmosphere somewhere watching this and God's working in your heart, you're like, Brian, I, need to, I do need to get this settled. You can call us at 816-380-3033. Pastor Jim Boyette's got the phone right now. He'll pick it up and he'll talk to you and we'll get you connected to Jesus right now. If, if you want to ma- email us, you can email us at uh, contact at hbfcast.org. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to be working on a text line, so you can text us if you need to text us. So I, I don't have that worked out yet. But, man, I'd love to get connected with you. You can call our office at 816-380-3033, and we'll try to get you where you need to go in the Word of God so you can know where you're going to go for all of eternity. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly